Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Together, we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Your heart is the altar of love by Myrtle Fillmore. Be still. Be still. Be still. God in the midst of you is substance. God in the midst of you is love. God in the midst of you is wisdom. Let not your thoughts be given to lack but let wisdom fill them with the substance and faith of God. Let not your heart be a center of resentment and fear and doubt. Be still and know that at this moment, it is the altar of God, of love, love so sure and unfailing, love so irresistible and magnetic that it draws your supply to you from the great storehouse of the universe. Trust God. Use God's wisdom. Prove and express God's love. As you come out of the silence, count your blessings and give thanks for them. Realize that only good exists in you and in your world, that the power you contacted in the silence may have opportunity to multiply and increase your blessings. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Thank you, Molly. <clears throat> Wonderful reading for today, isn't it? God in the midst of you is substance. It's amazing. Which actually leads to um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today. <clears throat> and um, I just want to pick it up again to remind us what the Advent season is for. Advent is about prepare preparation. It's about preparing ourselves to let the Christ within or our divinity or our spiritual gifts be born, to let them come forth, to allow them to be present in our daily lives so we can use them, right? That's what we're doing. We're preparing us for the birth of Christ for that divine part, that higher part, that's ready to be born within. And we're doing this you know, by having a focus each Advent. So we have the first candle focusing on hope and faith, 
We have the second candle on peace and the third one on love. We need hope. We need to hope for something different in order to be able to change. If we have no hope, why bother changing? If we don't have hope that the change may come, the world may come to peace, why bother working for it? If we have no hope that we can do better, why show up at all? So hope is a good starter, right? It's what we're doing every Sunday right now, what we're writing down on these little ornament pieces, and we hang them up as a symbol of what we hope for. We hope for things that are unseen, because we have to imagine difference. We have to imagine something else. And then we build upon that hope over and over again. We hope and hope and hope and build upon it, and learn, and learn to apply it, and do all these sorts of things, and then we start developing that faith. Faith, which is much stronger than hope. Because when we're in the hoping phase, you know, people can talk to us and kind of discourage us, and then we might get, you know, might stop hoping and hope for something else, you know, and, you know, we've probably all experienced that. We're hoping for something, and then we talk to our families and friends, and then they tell us otherwise, and then we start hoping for other stuff. So it's kind of a a very fragile state. But once we get to the point of faith, once hope turns into faith, there's not much deterrence anymore, isn't it? Like once you have faith in it, once you have faith that we are not just this limited human being, that we are so much more than that, and that we have the ability to change and be better, and we, we can make a difference in this world, as small as it may, may be, if we have faith in that. It doesn't matter really what our families and friends tell us, because we're we are convinced that this is the truth. You know, we keep affirming that the Christ is within us. We keep affirming that we are an expression of God. And for some of, us, some of us, that will be like hope. Oh, I hope that is true. I know that, you know, I'm saying this over and over again. I, I hear this in the affirmations and all that, but I'm just not there yet. And that's okay. Just keep going. Keep hearing it. Keep practicing it until that faith, as small as a mustard seed, is within you. And no one will ever be able to take that away from you. As long as you tend to that small seed of mustard seed, it will turn into this massive tree. And then it's pretty clear no one will ever deter you. So that's our starting point. Isn't that powerful? We start out with that. And then we move into peace, and peace is really important because if we are not learning to come to peace once in a while, then we are just too busy to do other stuff, especially now. I always find it fascinating to see how around Christmas, when we're supposed to be at peace, we're doing the opposite. 
most of us, we're running around, get presents, and do this dinner and that dinner and go to this Christmas party and that dinner. But what about peace? Peace is important. We need to learn in our spiritual work to step back and come to peace. I'm not saying we need to be hermits in a cave somewhere or we need to kind of like not do any, everything, anything anymore. We need to be active in our community. But once in a while, take a breather. Breathe and be still, just like Myrtle Fillmore said in the poem, be still, be still. And today, we're talking about love. And we're using, again, a story from Luke. It's actually a story that comes before the story from last week, before the shepherds arrive. It's the story about the birth of Jesus. And we have a very special guest today who is going to read this to us. And I want you to welcome Peyton, who is visiting us. So Peyton has graciously agreed to read the story to us. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descendant from the house and the family of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her, deliver, for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place in the guest room. Thank you, Peyton. It's so good to see you. So we have this story of the birth of Jesus. And there's actually a lot that we can unpack here. Just want to go back to the picture. Um, you see here, and that's becoming re relevant in the story. You see here Mother Mary attending to the newborn. It's the bands of cloth, the swaddles of cloth that are important, and the manger who are important. And I talked a little bit about it uh, last week, but just as a reminder, this is really where we're centering ourselves around when we read this story. So what happens in the story? So now I'm testing you, because if you haven't fallen asleep yet, you should be remember what happens in the story, right? So what's, what's the first thing that happens in the story? That's kind of like the last thing. That's kind of like the climax of the story. The, the kind of registration, the census, right? That's the beginning of the story, right? Now, you're not wrong. It's just it's happening. It's just a little bit later in the story. So, so Joseph and Mary, you know, they, at that point when, when uh, the governor calls for the census, they were actually Nazareth, right? That's why it's called Jesus from Nazareth, not from Bethlehem. But they have to go to Bethlehem in order to register. Okay? 
They obviously didn't, need, didn't live in the United States because can you imagine that ever happened that you have to go and register in the United States? No? No. I thought that was a better joke than it came out to be. <laughs> I guess you don't know the backstory in Switzerland. If you want to live in Switzerland, you have to go to City Hall and register. You know, you can't live legally in Switzerland unless you register. So, um, so they have to go and register and then what happens? She's already pregnant, yeah. Then she gets the baby. Has the baby, yeah. And then she wraps him in the swaddles and all that. Okay. All right. We'll do this next year again, so just remember and... Okay. Well, we can improve on that, yeah. Yeah, so everyone has to register. Mary and Joseph travel, and this is significant, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem. Every place has meaning. Every name of a town or a country has meaning. You can go back into the Hebrew scriptures, Go back to the Hebrew meaning of the names. You can both go back into symbolisms. It all means something. And I keep saying that those gospel writers didn't just write down the story as it happens. They also had a purpose. They had something they wanted to tell us. And they used some of those names that were commonly known. Everyone knew what Nazareth meant. It meant the common people, right? Everyone knew what Bethlehem meant, substance. Just what Myrtle Fillmore said in a poem, you know, in the midst, God is in the midst, is substance, right? That's what Bethlehem means, Jerusalem. You know, we're, Bethlehem is just south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem means peace. All these things were known back then and then forgotten over the past 2,000 years. And then Mary gives birth to Jesus, as we already established, as symbol of giving birth to our own spiritual gifts. And then she wraps Jesus in bands of cloths and puts him in the manger. So there's meaning to it. So what does it all mean? First of all, the whole registration thing is just a symbol of we're all busy. Right? It's not about registering our senses or anything. It may have happened or not happened, but when we look at the, the meaning of the story, it's clear that we are busy in our lives. We have stuff to do. It's a symbol of our busyness, the running around, the getting stuff done, the never stopping, right? It seems like the older we get and the more technology we have to help us is it's not slowing us down, it's speeding us up, right? It's forcing us to get things done faster. Nowadays, when I don't respond to someone's email within like two hours, they go, are you okay, right? <laughs> when emails first came out, you know, you hardly found anyone who had an email and then it was okay if you responded within a couple of months, right? <laughs> So the busyness is represented here, and it's important that we acknowledge that we are busy here. The second thing is, 
that travel from Nazareth, from Galilee, which is north of Judea, two different countries, right? Galilee and Judea. That travel means the travel from the human to the spiritual. We cannot express our spirituality unless we travel. We travel from the within to the without. We allow that substance to come forth, God to be expressed, to use our divinity and allow it to come. And for that to happen, we must stop just limiting ourselves to that humanness and start imagining that there could be something more, right? That hope, that faith is important here. And then we give birth. We all do, not just the women. We all do give birth. Can you believe it? We can actually do that. We can give birth, man, woman, whatever your gender identification, all of us can give birth to our divinity, spiritual gifts. And you know what? No one can stop you. No one. They can try. They can try and say, oh, you're, you're useless. You're, you're not good enough. Ever heard those messages in your head? I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable, you know? They can try, but we still can. There's no way that it's ever possible. Imagine that for a moment. There's no way it's ever possible that we will be taking away the right to birth our spiritual gifts. It cannot be taken away. It's inseparable, just as God is. It's inseparable from us. And it doesn't matter for how many years you believed it's not possible, it is. It doesn't matter how many people still tell you you can't, you can. And that's what's happening here. And then, the whole wrapping Jesus in the, in the, the swaddles and the manger really means we connect our spiritual with the human and tender to it, a highlighted tendering. Remember from last week, I said when we first birth a spiritual gift, when it's new, it's very fragile. It's fragile. It, it needs help. It's like a seed that we plant, like the mustard seed of faith that we plant. We can't just put it in the ground and then walk away and hope for the best. We have to tender to it, give it water, give it attention. Just like that, our spiritual gifts need that too. And it's fragile, right? If we just used, put the, the seed in the ground and then we used Gatorade to water it, because it's good for you, so why isn't it good for the mustard seed, right? That's, that wouldn't really help much. And that's kind of like a symbolism for, we often try to let our spiritual gifts come forth, but then we're doing everything we can to thwart it, or let other people tell us what to do, and then that's going to thwart that. So we have to protect it, we have to give it attention, we may have to talk to it, 
We may, you know, in prayer, for example, we may have to attend to it by just being still in meditation. Whatever we need to do, we need to pay attention. So that's what it means. That's what this story means. We have the gift and the ability to birth our spiritual gifts at all times. There's no time limit on it. There's, there's no limit of how many gifts we can bear. Nothing. We can keep going. Okay? It doesn't matter if we forgot that ability for 50 or 60 years. We can pick it up right just like that. There's no such thing as condemnation other than our own disbelief. There's no such thing that we have done so wrong that God will take away that gift from us because God will never do that. Because God can't. We are part of that. So here's some metaphysics on what we already looked at last week and so on just as a reminder. Mary and Joseph, it's about balance. Balance the masculine, the feminine. The masculine being the wisdom we impart in our lives. The feminine being the love, the intuition. We have uh, Jesus, the spiritual gift. And now the bands of cloth. So that's from Charles Fillmore, Myrtle's husband, co-founder. Means the helplessness of man's thoughts about the new life. Now, please forgive Charles here. You know, he wrote this, you know, about 100 years ago, and he was very much into the patriarchic kind of man's love. He means, you know, man and woman, but it's just using that language. The helplessness of man's thoughts about the new life. Again, when we bear a new spiritual gift, that gift often is helpless, just like a newborn baby, and it needs that attention. And then the manger is the limitation of the physical nature, but there's a second interpretation, the physical nature in which the spiritual is born. That actually is not from Charles Fillmore, that's from someone who did a lot of metaphysical interpretation in Unity, called Reverend Ed Rabel, who passed um, a while ago. But if you go to the Unity website and you look up metaphysical interpretation, you see his name all over the place. He is saying that the manger represents that the spiritual is born out of the human. Isn't that interesting? What does that tell you? We must be human to let the spirit come out. We must be human to let the spirit be born. What does that tell you? We don't have to change. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be who we are. We're still allowed to let that spirit flow. Most importantly here in this story, who do you think is the most important character in this story? The governor? No? The baby? Maybe. But when we think of protecting and tendering and all that, who do you think? Mary, yes. Mary, which means love. <clears throat> we need the balance, yes. 
when we approach our spirituality, we need both Joseph and Mary, right? No doubt about that. We need to bring our, you know, brain power in a little bit to kind of like give direction, and then we bring the love to it, and then there you go. Conception happens. Little baby is on its way, right? But here, once the gift is born, love is what counts. Love is how we can actually keep going. Mary becomes the most important aspect here, not only in this story, but at that moment. Joseph is still important. He's kind of around. But Mary is the one that births the child, which means our feminine side in all of us is the one that actually lets it happen. Love makes it happen. If we don't love the gift we want to bear, it will not happen. We have to love it for whatever it looks like and however it looks like. So why is love so important? <clears throat> we have Paul who writes this beautiful scripture in 1 Corinthians here in chapter 13. And you probably all heard of this before. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's powerful, right? If we learn to love, there's nothing that can help it. It's impossible. Which brings me to a little story, a story that happened quite a long time ago for me. I got so fed up with Switzerland that I packed my bags and I decided to fly to New Zealand. And because all my friends were doing the same trip on a bicycle, I thought, well, <clears throat> let me pack up a bicycle and put as much stuff on it as I possibly can. And let's just do what everyone else is doing and that's how I'm going to find myself. Okay. And I did this, I started in Christchurch, you have a map here of the South Island on the east there, Christchurch in the middle. I started there, you know, and I, I kind of get myself ready and I have this heavy bike. I mean, I couldn't even lift it, it was so heavy. And, you know, I wasn't really as heavy as I am now, but I still wasn't like a skinny dude or something. So there was some weight on those two tires, right? And, and the first thing that happened was, the first day I went on, I, I went outside of the youth hostel and asked a friendly guy, and he said, could you point me to the south, please? Where is south? And he said, that way. So trusting as I was, I didn't pull up the map and double check what he was saying or double check like once, it, you know, I was riding through Christchurch from downtown all the way to the outskirts of Christchurch until I realized I was going north. That should have been my, my clue, right? Maybe bicycling New Zealand is not what I love to do, right? 
But no, I was stubborn because everyone else had fun, so I will have fun too. So let me go for it because everyone is telling me, just like everything in our life is telling us, you have to buy a house, you have to do this, you have to get married, and you have to be happy and all that. All these messages we get just like that, I was told, riding a bicycle is the way to go. So I turned around the next day and I went through Christchurch again, and then I went on Highway 1. I still can't believe why I thought that was a good choice, right? I went on Highway 1 down south toward Timaru, which is kind of the, the bigger, bigger thing. You see Highway 1 right there on the, on the right-hand side. And I was on this highway. And guess what happens on a highway? Cars and trucks and everything like that. And I was like going like this all the time, and going like this all the time. I was blown over almost always. But not only that, because I wasn't the slimmest and the lightest, and the bike was heavy and only had two tires, guess what happened once in a while? I got a flat tire exactly, and that became the bane of my existence. And yet it didn't deter me. On the way to Timaru, I probably had two or three on that one day, I had two or three flat tires. So I had to get off that bike and unload everything and then take that tube out and repair the tube and put it back in and pump it back up and get on the bike again. And two hours later, another flat tire. Needless to say, I got really tired. And still, I didn't get that that wasn't what I loved to do. So I kept going, eventually got a hitchhike with a guy down to Timaru, and I took a couple of days off, and I said, this is just crazy. I can't go on doing this. But then I learned something, except, well, I don't have to do Highway 1, duh. You know, why don't I go inland toward Queenstown? Because that's a much nicer bike ride. That's where all the people go. And they said, all right, let me do that. So let me pack my bike and go toward Queenstown from Timaru. And it was a beautiful morning, beautiful sunset, and I was all happy and ready to go with my spiritual gift, the bicycle, that everyone else told me is the way to go. Well, guess what? Number one, about two hours into my ride, it started raining. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying rain like the nice little grizzly rain, you know, that we all love and it smells so nice. No, no, the heavy pour that you just want to go from your car into the building as fast as you can, and still you get too soaked, right? So that all happened. And what else do you think happened? Remember, heavy bike, heavy person, flat tire. So here I was, first turned around the wrong way, then having multiple flat, flat tires, cars rushing by me, trucks rushing by me, breathing in all that exhaust, taking a couple of days off, on my way to my bike ride of my life, and here I go, another flat tire, soaked wet, and that was it for me. I took that bike, and I don't remember, still don't remember how I did it. I lifted it up, and I swear to you, I think I lifted it over my head, 
and I threw it into the ditch. Seriously, I'm not kidding. I threw it in the ditch, and I stepped by the road and put my thumb out. And I was standing there, soaked in everything. I did pick my, all my belongings up, because that's all I had left in the world. I put it by the side of the road. My bike was in the ditch, and I was there hitchhiking. It's pouring rain. I'm soaked. How many, how many people you think stopped? Yeah, I was standing there for quite a long time until a little tiny car stopped. And when they rolled down their window, I got the shock of my life because they looked so scary. I thought I'm going to be murdered right there in the fair. <laughs> you know, they ended up being the loveliest people. They took me to the next town, got me a beer. They listened to my whole story and all that. They came off a fisher boat, so you can imagine what the smell was in that car. They didn't know I had my bike in the ditch. They just thought it was really odd that I had all these different packs that I was moving around and was in the middle of nowhere by myself. And I finally got it. I finally got it. Regardless of whatever anyone tells me, how beautiful it is to ride the bicycle through New Zealand, which I'm sure it is. It just, damn, it was not mine to do. It really was not mine to do. Those two lovely people that looked so scary that I thought I would be murdered right then and there took me back to my bicycle once I told them the story. They got me all the way back to Timaru. I shipped it off to Queenstown. I got down to Dunedin, bought me a backpack, and started walking. And I learned that walking is the pace that I like to go. And I started falling in love with it. You know, Paul says, love never ends. And I'm glad it didn't. My love I found for being out in the middle of nowhere, by myself, with no vehicle, I found. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. I subjected myself to a lot of pain trying to be someone else than who I was, trying to do something that I really didn't want to do. I just wanted to fulfill someone else's dream. And it didn't go anywhere. Instead, I did this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. In that moment, when I threw that bicycle into the ditch, I became an adult and said, screw it all. I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea what's mine to do. But one thing I know, this is no longer mine to do. I learned to find my spiritual gift by hiking in Stewart Island in the middle of nowhere, kayaking in the sounds, being at peace, walking, across the Alps, 
across glaciers, just by myself, taking twice as long as everyone else, but walking my pace, walking at peace, coming home for the first time in my life. I ended up at this mirror lake, perfect reflection of what you see above is below. And I started to see clearly who I was. No understanding what I'm going to do. I had no clue I would end up here and be a minister. But I knew who I was without having to define what that exactly needs to be. Paul says, for now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been known, fully known. We may only see a reflection sometimes, but we are here to be fully known. And now is the time for us to prepare and to practice and to do the things that we, we need to do in order to be fully known. And now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Once I learned what I truly love to do, life changed. I started following my heart, stopped listening to the nagging stuff around me, still listened to people, to mentors, to people that I felt connected to, but I stopped listening to the whole world at the same time telling me what to do. Instead, I learned to love. And it was simple. A backpack on my back with all my belongings and my feet. That's all I had. And that's all I needed. So this week's focus is to love and to learn to bear all things. To bear all things means that sometimes we may be on a wrong direction and wrong path just like me trying to bicycle through New Zealand. And we get all these messages, right, from the university teams, but in Unity we like to believe we are the ones who are giving us ourselves these messages by dragging our feet over there, right? We can bear a lot. But there is a point where we are also allowed to let go, where we don't have to do it anymore. And we are just allowed to do one thing, to just be love and do that for the rest of our lives. So that's a little story today. I'm sorry to go a little long and get excited about this stuff, as you can tell. So I hope that you will remember that whatever anyone tells you, you have the ability to birth yourself as more and as beautiful as you are, and you have the right to do so, and I encourage you to never forget that. So let us take that into meditation.
So let us remember Myrtle Fillmore's beautiful words in her poem. God in the midst of us is love, and we are that. God in the midst of love. God in the midst of us is love, and we are that very thing. We come to a stillness and know that that is true. We do this together as a group, as a community, online and in person, but also individually for ourselves. So with every breath, we can take in, we remind ourselves that we are love, and we have the right to be that. And with every exhale, we let go of all the judgments, all the limitations, anything that is telling us that we are not love, we are not worthy, we are not lovable, we're not okay the way we are. We just let go of all that. And then breathe back in that reminder, I am love, I am peace, I am that I am. Allowing ourselves to become present in the here and now and remember that we have the right to birth our spiritual gift at any moment. We move forward together. We are the light that we seek to be in this world. We are the solution to any problem. We are the salvation to humankind. We are heaven on earth. We are God expressing in every moment. We are law. We are principle. We are love. Peace, joy, goodness. All these messages are sinking in right now. We affirm together as a community that that is the truth for all of us and for us individually. No matter the judgments, the distractions, no matter the thoughts or feelings that may try to take us away from the truth, we settle peacefully and remember, 
So we notice that we change by affirming that we're love itself. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to steal it. We don't have to create it. It is here. It is here for us to grasp, for us to cuddle, to tender to it, to love and care for it, to be its parents, its friend, its family. We are that. Because we do this in a community, we remember what Jesus meant when he said to love one another. Remember that that is possible. And we will do our best right now and in every moment to remember that. So let us close in gratitude, allow our hearts to open even more, allow our wisdom of mind to come into harmony with love and give thanks to all the things we have done and all the things we're about to do. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.